Hello and welcome to God Still Speaks Through Jackasses. In this episode, I'll be reviewing an interview with emergent guru John Caputo and comparing it with the original lies told by the serpent in the Garden of Eden. As always, I want to thank Cody F. Miller for the use of his piece Balaam that serves as the artwork for the cast. You can peruse his fantastic work, work at www.codyfmiller.com. As well, I want to thank Michael Omquist and Five Iron Frenzy for the use of their tune, My Evil Plan to Save the World. And as ever, thanks to my ministry coach, Gene Talley. If you're looking for ministry coaching of pure awesomeness, please contact Gene at revtalley at gmail.com. That's R-E-V-T-A-L-L-E-Y at gmail.com. The serpent became the most crafty animal of the field of which Yahweh Elohim made. He, the serpent, said to the woman, Did indeed Elohim say, You will not eat of any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of any tree of the garden. But from the tree in the middle of the garden, Elohim said, We will not eat or touch it unless we die. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not die. You cannot die. Elohim knows that on the day you eat of it, you will have your eyes opened and will become like Elohim, knowing good and evil. And the woman, seeing that the tree is good for food, and it makes the eyes yearn and gives intelligence, the woman covets the tree, and she takes and eats of it and gives it to her man, who is with her, and he eats. This week, we're going to jump into the absolute morass that is the so-called emergent movement. I have to say on a personal level that I have some disdain for this movement simply because it is so attractive and at the same time so very deceptive. Indeed, this movement takes those who have generally been hurt or wounded by the church at some point and preys on that pain. So needless, needless to say, I don't like this movement. I've experienced in my own life the pain of its empty promises of a third way and some new, more profound understanding of Jesus. I've seen and continue to see people who are trapped in the lies of the emergent movement. If you doubt me, please please hear me out because I believe I can expose these lies in, in at least one way in this podcast. And it all starts with the very first lie found in human history. And it's in the form of a question. Did God... And I've spelled that in my notes with a small g, which I'll explain later in my pirate sermon. Um, but on the point, did God really say? To begin, I'll go through a very heady article recently posted on the New York Times website entitled Deconstructing God. It's from uh, the Opinionator blog and a specific blog um, in the Opinionator called The Stone, um, which Gary Gutting uh, moderates. And this is from uh, March 9th, uh, just a uh, few weeks ago uh, this year. Um, he starts that. He says, this is, the, this is the third in a series of interviews about religion that I'm conducting for the stone. The interviewee for this installment is John D. Caputo. Now, just on an aside, Caputo is considered by most, emerg- uh, most of the emergent movement as one of their supreme gurus. He's one of the uh, thinkers behind uh, what the emergent movement is doing. So, anyway, um, uh, uh Gutting continues, uh, he's a professor of religion and humanities at Syracuse University, author of The Prayers and Tears of Jacques, Jacques Derrida, Religion Without Religion. This, uh, the format of this art- article is an email interview between Gary Gutting and, and John Caputo. 
And Mr. Gutting begins. You approach religion through Jacques, Der to Jacques Derrida's notion of deconstruction, which involves um, questioning and undermining the sorts of sharp distinctions traditionally so important for philosophy. What then do you think of the distinction between theism, atheism, and agnosticism? John Caputo. I would begin with a plea to not force deconstruction into one of these boxes. I consider these competing views as beliefs, creedal, position, creedal positions that are inside our head by virtue of an accident of birth. Now, <laughs> right off the bat, Caputo wastes no time to ask the question, did God really say? By asserting that, quote, beliefs, creedal positions are inside our head by virtue of an accidental birth? Yeah. Um... Did God really say? Yeah. According to Caputo, we don't believe uh, what God really said. No. No, we believe what we were taught to believe because it's ingrained in us from birth via our particular culture. Beliefs have nothing to do with what God has to say, according to Caputo. Um, he continues, these are the people who, quote, believe things from, from the religious traditions they've inherited. Uh, there are... There are the people who deny them the atheism. Um, the atheism you get is pegged to the God under denial. And there are people who say, who could possibly know anything about all that? To that I oppose an underlying, underlying form of life. Not the beliefs inside our head, but the desires inside our heart. An underlying faith, a desire beyond desire, a hope against hope, something which these inherited beliefs contain without being able to contain. Yeah, this is the old head knowledge versus heart knowledge false dichotomy here. Caputo, near as I can tell, um, is saying, sure, your head tells you to believe this, but what does your heart tell you? This is a clever twist on the original lie. Did God really say Sure, your head tells you that God said this, but what does your heart tell you, Eve? You see the fruit is good for food and to gain knowledge. Why not give it a try? Caputo continues, If you cease to believe in a particular religious creed like Calvinism or Catholicism, you have changed your mind and adopted a new position for which you will require new propositions. Imagine a debate where a theist and an atheist actually convince, convince each other. They trade positions and their lives go on. But if you lose, quote, faith, in the sense this word is used in deconstruction, everything is lost. You have lost your faith in life, lost hope in the future, lost heart, and you cannot go on. <sighs> I'm not sure what he means by, quote, faith, in the sense this word is used in deconstruction, but it, but it sounds important. <laughs> maybe, should it, maybe, should have it, maybe, he, pardon me, maybe he should have expounded on this because it sounds pretty important to his argument. If all is lost, if we lose this, quote, faith that Caputo mentions, then perhaps some lucid explanation is in order here. I mean, um, even the interviewer is confused. I, I don't blame him. Check it out. Um, uh, Gary Gutting says, I have some trouble with your use of, quote, deconstruction. Yeah, no kidding. I have some trouble with it too, Gary. On the one hand, it seems to be a matter of uh, undermining sharp distinctions like that between atheism and theism. On the other hand, your own analysis seems to introduce a sharp distinction between beliefs and ways of life, even though beliefs are surely part of religious ways of life. Caputo answers, After making a distinction, a distinction in deconstruction, the first thing to do is deconstruct it to show that it leaks, that its terms are porous and intersecting, one side bleeding into the other, um, 
these leaks being the most interesting thing of all about the distinction. And there it is. That's your definition of de deconstruction, as it were. If, if I were to look at a blank piece of paper and declare the paper is white, then my first duty is to, quote, deconstruct that statement. And deconstruction goes like this. What do you mean by, quote, white? What if by white, quote unquote, we mean purple? And if by purple, we mean moth? And if by moth, we mean white? Again, see our first lie coming up here? Caputo is saying again as nearly as I can estimate something like God said not to eat the fruit of, not to eat the fruit of the knowledge, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we're supposed to ask, what did God mean by eat? What did God mean by the fruit? Did God mean none of its fruit or just some of it? Did God really say? You see what I mean? Caputo continues. I'm distinguishing, I'm distinguishing particular beliefs from an underlying faith and hope in life itself, which takes different forms in different places and traditions by which the particular traditions are both inhabited and disturbed. I agree they are both forms of life, but on different levels or strata. The particular, the particular beliefs are more local, more stabilized, more codified, uh, while this underlying faith and hope in life is more restless, open-minded, disturbing, incohate, unpredictable, destabilizing, less confinable. Wow. <laughs> Did you catch that? Um, the particular beliefs are more local, more stabilized, more codified, while this underlying faith and, and hope in life is more restless, open-ended, dis disturbing, incohate, um, unpredictable, destabilizing, less comfortable. Here's a particular belief that Eve should have held to. God said, do not eat. Here's the deconstruction of that belief that's more restless, open-ended, disturbing, etc. Did God really say do not eat? I mean, that's such a localized and stable belief, Eve. Let's deconstruct that. Uh, let's deconstruct that, the serpent probably would have said. Let's see if that's what God really meant when he said those words to you. Uh, Gutting continues, Okay, I guess you might say that all thinking involves making distinctions, but deconstructive thinking always turns on itself, using further distinctions to show how any given distinction is misleading. But using this sort of language leads to a par leads to paradoxical claims. As, for example, when you say, as you just did, that beliefs contain a faith they can't contain. Paradox is fine, as long as we have some way of understanding that it's not an outright contradiction. So, why isn't it a contradiction to say that that there's a faith that believes that beliefs both contain and can't contain. Caputo. The traditions contain, in the sense of, quote, possess, these events, but they cannot contain, in the sense of, quote, confine or limit them, hold them captive by building a wall of doctrine, administrative rule, orthodoxy, propositional uh, rectitude around them. Now, this is instructive. This is, and this is my comments here, um, this is what is behind the original lie. When the serpent asked, did God really say, the serpent was not only questioning God, but indeed was questioning propositional truth. Now, what I mean by propositional truth is interchanged with objective truth. That That is truth that can be discovered, known, and practiced. 
and has its origins outside of ourselves. Propositional truth, as it were, is the very command of the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God. You will not eat of the fruit of the uh, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That is propositional truth. The serpent comes along as the most crafty beast in the field and says, God cannot contain in the sense of confine or limit. These are Caputo's words, by the way. Um, God cannot, quote, contain in the sense of confine or, quote, limit them, hold them captive by building a wall of doctrine and administrative rule, orthodoxy, propositional rectitude around them. But, but wait a second there, John. Isn't what you just stated a propositional truth? You just made a truth claim, didn't you? Isn't the assertion that tradition, uh, that tradition contained in the sense of possess these limits but cannot contain in the sense of confine or limit them, blah, 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 hold them captive by building water, isn't that itself a propositional rectitude, as you term it? Seems to me that it is. So who am I to believe you, John? What propositional rectitude am I to adopt, sir? Yours or one which claims for itself to be the very word of God. I mean, if I mean, I'll lay you odds that you're as mu you're much more a much more intelligent person than I am. But are you telling me that uh, I'm to trust your superior intellect over that which claims to be the very word of God? Oh, but how do you know that it's the word of God? You might ask. Interesting. Are you asking me? Did God really say, John? Is that what you're asking me? Because if you are, by the virtue of my salvation and by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in me, I'm going to say, yes, John, God really did say. Gutting continues. So the distinction that saves you from contradiction is this. Beliefs contain faith in the sense that in the world, beliefs are where we find concretely uh, where we find faith concretely expressed. But any given faith can be expressed by quite different beliefs in quite different historical contexts. Is In this sense, the faith is not contained by the beliefs. That makes sense. Presumably, then, deconstructive theology is the effort to isolate this, quote, common core of faith that's found in different historical periods, or maybe even the differing, differing beliefs or different contemporary churches. <laughs> Poor Gary, I, I, you know, I feel you. I feel your pain. You're trying to get. You're trying to find truth in this, and John has already told you there is no truth to be found. It's hard to get your mind around Caputo's propositional truths when he says there is no truth. But all at the same time, the truth is there is not truth. But if there is not truth, check this out. It might explain things a little bit. Observe. Oh! 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 Oh!
but there was no explosion. I lied. What? You lied. Everything Harry tells you is a lie. Remember that. Everything Harry tells you is a lie. Now listen to this carefully, Norman. I am lying. You say you are lying, but if everything you say is a lie, then you are telling the truth. But you cannot tell the truth because everything you say is a lie, but you lie. You tell the truth, but you cannot, for you lie. Illogical. Illogical. Please explain. You are human. Only humans can explain their behavior. Poor, I, I feel for poor Norman, as they call him in this Star Trek episode. I, I don't really relate to Kirk and Spock and the boys. I mean, I know they're trying to escape peril and danger, but um, I don't live in a reality where to state there is no truth is the only truth. There is no truth is a propositional truth claim. It is a self-refuting argument. And Kirk and the boys here, I'm, and I'm sure John, um, that is Caputo, um, see this as an a- absolute victory over absolute truth um, to listen to someone labor to tell you there is no truth will fry your brain just like it did poor Norman I know it fries my brain alright so <clears throat> so Caputo is going to come back on this and, and re- try to respond uh, to, to Gutting's uh, assertion that there's a common core once you kind of uncover everything and he says no I'm not resurrecting the old comparative religion thesis that there's an underlying transcendental form or essence or universe, universal that we can call from differing empirical religious beliefs that, that can be approached by empirical cases. Ah, uh, well, bummer, Gary. Nice attempt to try to pin this down, but deconstruction by its very nature cannot be pinned down. The second you pin it down, you have to deconstruct it again. Uh, Caputo continues, I'm saying uh, that the inherited religious traditions contain something deeper, which is why they are important. Now, this is an important point. And understanding where Caputo is coming from. The quote, something deeper he mentions, according to Derrida's concept of deconstruction, the something deeper can never be found. Let me say that again. The something deeper can never can never be found. This demonstrates Derrida's and by course Caputo's loyalty to Immanuel Kant's construction of the quote thing in itself, as found in his work um, Critique of Pure Reason. Solomon teaches us in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. The counter-enlightenment and, the counter-enlightenment and subsequently Kant and his disciples, Derrida and Caputo, are a derivation of Gnosticism, a, quote, secret knowledge. Well, I, I mean, derivation may be too strong of a word, but this something deeper Caputo mentions, as well as the, quote, thing in itself from Kant, resonate with ancient Gnosticism. Whose face, who, whose face was nothing other than Marcion of Sinope. Marcion, in his movement knows, known as the Marcionites, rejected in total the Hebrew scriptures as well as much of the Christian scriptures, short of a few of Paul's letters and a version of Luke cleaned up for Gnostic thought by Marcion. Does this sound familiar? It should, because Caputo and I mean, and, and men of his ilk, um, a la Tony Jones, Brian McLaren, uh, and others of the so-called emergent movement, almost always opt for their own version of the Holy Scriptures. This all while searching for this something deeper that by their own admission can never be found. Indeed, that may be the only difference between them and Gnostic thought is that uh, is that the Gnostics actually believed 
that they might one day find this, quote, secret knowledge. And some even claimed they, that they'd found it. While Caputo and the boys here, if they ever did find something of that nature, would by necessity need to deconstruct it in order to carry on. Caputo continues, I don't marginalize religious traditions. They are our indispensable inheritance. Without them, human experience would be impoverished. Its horizons narrowed. We would be deprived deprived of their resources, not know the names of Moses, Jesus, Muhammad, this startling notion of the, quote, kingdom of God, the idea of the uh, messianic, and so on. As a philosopher, I am, of course, interested in what happens, but always in terms of what is going on in, going on in what happens. The particular religious traditions are what happen, and they are precious, but my interest lies in what is going on in these traditions in the memory of Jesus, say. But different traditions contain different desires, promises, memories, dreams, futures, a different sense of time and space. Nothing says that underneath they are all the same. Gary Getting responds. That doesn't seem to me what typically goes on in de deconstructive theology. The deconstructive analysis of any religious concept, the Christian trinity, the Muslim uh, oneness of God, Buddhist nirvana, always turns out to be the same, an endless play of mutually undermining differences. Kerry <laughs> is on to something very good here. He is seeing the doctrine, that is the teaching of deconstruction. De deconstruction. It is right there, and he is absolutely right. It always turns out the same, he says. Man, if that ain't the truth. As much as Caputo wants to deny it, he is espousing a very specific doctrine, a very specific doctrine, a teaching, a very specific theology with its own rules and dogmas. Trust me when I tell you, whenever you land on the theolo wherever you land on the theolo theological uh, spectrum, you will find the teachers of that position teaching it and defending it with vigor. Take your most staunch Calvinist and he would defend his position. Now take Caputo here. He is defending deconstruction theology, deconstruction theology, theology just as passionately as any Calvinist. Check it out. And I'll comment on whether there is a position we can hold that makes more sense than any other. So here goes Caputo again. He's going to defend deconstruction by, by saying there's nothing to defend. Caputo. There is no such thing as deconstructive theology. Of course he's going to say that. In the singular or quote religion, in the singular, there is there are only deconstructive versions of concrete religious traditions, inflections, repetitions, rereadings, reinventions, which open them up to a future for which they are not prepared, to dangerous memories of a past they try not to recall, since their tendency is to consolidate and stabilize. <laughs> This makes me this makes me laugh out loud a little bit, you know, uh, kind of the lol, right? As hard as Caputo is trying, his ideas are consolidating. They are stabilizing right before his eyes. Accordingly, it, this is Caputo continue, continuing. Accordingly, you would always be uh, be able to de to detect genealogy, reconstruct the line of descent, figure out the pedigree of a deconstructive theology. It would always bear the mark of the tradition it inflects. A lot of the quote Derrida and theology work, for example, has been following the wrong scent, looking for links between Derrida's ideas and Christian negative theology, while missing his irregular and heretical uh, messianic Judaism. I like to joke that Derrida is slightly uh, atheistic, quasi-Jewish. 
Augustinian, but I'm also serious. Yeah, now, these are my comments. That's probably the most accurate statement he's made so far. He's teasing about trying to pin down Derrida, but really the best you can do with deconstruction is to say something like, this is how things are, sort of. This is how it is, some of the time. Now, in Caputo's defense, his position is, is probably the most logical in his mind he can take, short of affirming an absolute truth, which he refuses to do, an, an objective truth, an outside uh, truth that is found outside of yourself that concerns God. If you're going to reject absolute and objective truth, this is what you're left with. Left with. You have to deconstruct um, claims of truth, and, and truth can never really be known. Caputo rejects objective truth. So this is his only option. And as, as I've shown, this option fails because it is self-refuting. This is the fatal flaw to which all counter-enlightenment philosophy falls. It says there is no objective truth. That in and of itself is a truth claim, and it's a self-refuting truth claim. Remember what happened to poor Norman? Yeah, that's what we're dealing with here. For Caputo's part, his notion of deconstruction is his truth claim, and it refutes itself, just as I've, I, I've described. If we have to deconstruct everything, as Caputo suggests, then we, in fact, have to deconstruct deconstruction. And if we do that, what are we left with? What is there to deconstruct? Therein lies the danger of this philosophy in a practical way. If we reject objective truth when it comes to God, that rejection, when taken to its logical conclusion, leaves us with nothing to discuss. Nothing with which we may fellowship with one another. Caputo may argue, no, no. We have a rich history we can deconstruct together. No, we don't. I would say, John. We have to reject deconstruction as a propositional truth because there can't be propositional truth in your model. We have to deconstruct deconstruction and then we are left with nothing. Now, if you want to say, proclaim that deconstruction is a truth claim, cool, we've got something to go on. Otherwise, we're sunk. But if, there's, if there is such a thing as propositional truth, then deconstruction really, standing as that truth, makes no sense. On what authority do we have then to, say de then to say deconstruction is the, quote, only truth. And all other truth claims have to be deconstructed. Where do we start? None of it makes a bit of sense. Now we're getting down to it, right? See how Caputo's position either forces a nihilistic result, a finishing point where we end up with nothing, or... A truth claim that there is only one truth that we must follow. And if Caputo is honest, he's forced to make a truth claim that he must defend with all vigor, just as a Calvinist would defend his position, or a fundamentalist would defend his position. The bottom line is if if we're you know, the bottom line is we're honestly left with no option in reality but to affirm objective propositional truth right and wrong truth and error and either Caputo's claim to the truth is correct or it is not now I'll grant you that men like Caputo and Derrida and Kant are much more learned and intelligent than I am but are they so smart 
that we can award them the position of dictators of truth to us, the unwashed masses, because they are so insightful with their philosophies, does this give them the authority to dictate truth? If you listen to my episodes on the inerrancy and infallibility of Scripture, which was just a rehash of a Facebook debate I had, you might recall many of the responses to my questions of, okay, if the Bible is not the source of truth about God, then what is? And if we don't take the Bible in its entirety as the source of truth about God, then what parts of it do we affirm and what parts do we reject? In that debate, some answered, hey, that gray matter in between your ears will tell you. Others answered, you cherry-pick the things you like in the Bible. Uh, just like you do everything else. You already cherry-picked the Bible, just admit it. And still others, you create the God of your own imagination. In other words, in the minds of most, intellect will rule the day and give us truth. That sounds so good in our cushy and overbloated, indulgent, narcissistic Western lives, but the real impl implications of that are genuine, genuinely frightening to me, and they should be to you as well, for reasons I may have to do an entirely different podcast on. If you want, you can check out my podcast on Does Denying the, Tr the Trinity Lead to Fascism? Just for one example. Personally, I'll pass on relying on my own intellect to guide me to these truths. I'll even pass on men like John Caputo and Jacques Derrida. The only source of truth concerning God I trust is the Holy Scriptures. Why the Scriptures, you might ask? Well, that's maybe for yet another podcast, but it has to. It, it just suffices to say that I find the truths contained uh, in the written word of God to dwarf the intellect of men like John Caputo. Even Princeton PhDs like Tony Jones pale in comparison to the scriptures, the written word of God. This is true because the holy scriptures of both the Hebrew and Christian traditions are indeed from God. I'll take God any day over a mere mortal man. And, and that's the real decision we're faced with here. Did God really say Many will choose to answer an emphatic, no, God did not really say that. God could not have. The God I believe in would never do ABC. Take your pick after the critiques levied against God these days. For my part, by the power of the Holy Spirit and his sanctifying work in my life, I say, yes, God really did say. Gary continues, and he's feeling my pain in these next few questions. Guests. I can see that there are influence of uh, Judaism, Augustinian Christianity, and Enlightenment atheism in Derrida, but isn't this just a matter of his detaching certain religious ideas from their theistic core? He talks of a Messiah, but one that never comes. He's interested in the idea of confessing your sins, but there's no one to forgive them. After all the deconstructive talk, talk the law of non-contradiction still holds. Derrida is either an atheist or he isn't. It seems that their only reasonable answer is that he's an atheist. Caputo answers this question, or tries to, in the middle of his book on Augustine, Derrida says, quote, he rise, rightly passes for an atheist, shying away from, the, from a more de definitive, I am an atheist. By the standards of the local rabbi, that's correct. That's the position to attribute to him. That's a correct proposition. But if we stop there, we miss everything interesting and important about what he is saying for religion and for understanding deconstruction. Uh, Gary continues and asks this question. So if I insist on expressing religious faith in propositions, assertions that are either true or false, then yes, Derrida is an atheist. 
But according to you, the propositions that express faith aren't what's interesting or important about religion. I agree, I agree that there's much more to religion than what's stated in creeds. There are rituals, ascetic practices, moral codes, poetry, and symbols. But for most people, believing that God exists entails believing such propositions as there, there's some, someone who guarantees that justice will eventually prevail, that no suffering is without meaning, that there is a life after death where we can find eternal happiness. Caputo answers, We have to appreciate the deep distress that Derrida has for the for this word, atheism. This kind of normalizing category has only a preliminary value. It finds a place to put him in a taxonomy of, quote, positions. But it, it obscures everything that is valuable here. The word is too powerful for him, too violent. That is why, in another place, he said calling him an atheist is absolutely ridiculous. His atheism is not like that of Paul Tillich. When Tillich said that to the assertion that God is a supreme being, the proper theological response is atheism, but that, but that is the beginning of theology for Tillich, not the end. Derrida is not launching into a secularist, secularist attack on religion. Deconstruction has nothing to do with the violence of the, quote, new atheists like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens. Derrida approaches the mystics, the scriptures, Augustine, with respect. They are always ahead of him, he says, and he always has something to learn from them. He is not trying to knock down one position, quote, theism, with the opposing position, quote, atheism. He does not participate in these wars. Okay, now that sounds good, doesn't it? So tolerant. A third way that avoids classifying people into categories. It seems that Derrida, and subsequently Caputo, is choosing not to choose which reminds me of the great prophet Neil Peart's lyrics to the hit song uh, that Rush produced called Free Will. Now, we can analyze that song probably as well, but um, the telling line is that uh, in that song is, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. 
in spite of how hard Caputo is trying to avoid taking a position, trying to avoid propositional truth, it is unavoidable. Um, Gary continues to ask his questions. And you can see you can see him getting tired and all this. But but anyway, he says, um, you keep saying what Derrida doesn't do. Is there any positive content to his view of religion, or it is, or is it all just negative theology? Is he, in any sense, quote, making a case for religion? Can reading Derrida lead to religious belief? Caputo responds, in its most condensed form, deconstruction is affirmation. A yes, yes, come to the future and also to the past, since the authentic past is also ahead of us. It leads to, is led by a, quote, yes, to the transforming surprise, to the promise of what is to come in whatever we have inherited in politics, art, science, law, reason, and so on. The bottom line is, yes, come. Derrida is reading, rereading, reinventing inherited texts and traditions, releasing the future they, quote, harbor. That means both to keep safe, but also conceal in the name of what Augustine calls, quote, doing the truth. He is interested in all the things found in scriptures and revelation, the narratives, the images, the angels, not in order to mine them for their uh, rational content to distill them into proofs and propositions, but allow them to be heard and reopened by philosophy. Deconstruction is a way to read something meticulously feel about for its in, for its tensions, releasing what it itself may not want to disclose, remembering something it may not want to recall. It is not a drive-by shooting. Hmm, that sounds like a string of propositions to me. I mean, if Caputo is trying to avoid propositional truth, yeah, I mean, it sounds like he's set up the rules pretty stingently right there in that statement. Anyway, um, Gary continues, um, and he asks, but why call this religion? You can hear him getting tired at this point. <laughs> so am I starting to fry my brain. Um, but why call this, quote, religion? And Caputo answers, Derrida, call, Derrida calls this a, quote, religion without religion. Other people speak of the, quote, post-secular or of a theology, quote, after the death of God, which requires first passing through this death. In Derrida's delicate logic of, quote, without, a trope also found in the mystics, a thing is crossed out without becoming illegible. We can still see through the cross marks. So this religion comes without the religion you just described. It's not nearly as safe, reassuring, 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 heartwarming, triumphant over death, sure about justice, or so absolutely fabulous at soothing hearts, as Jacques Lacan says with an explanation for everything. His religion is risky business and no guarantees. His religion is risky business, no guarantees. So the question comes, do I choose the religion of risky business and no guarantees, or do I choose the religion, the faith of the sure and certain promises of the one true God? The scriptures claim to speak, speak perfectly about this one true God. They describe a real and living God. In fact, the scriptures claim to contain God's voice, and God gives us promises in those words. A religion of no guarantees, or a faith of sure and certain promises. For my part, I'll pass pass on the religion of no guarantees Gary, uh, Gary continues if Derrida doubts or denies that there's someone uh, someone who guarantees such things isn't it only honest to say that he is an agnostic or an atheist <laughs> poor Gary he's trying so hard <laughs> just, 
not getting any help. Anyway, um, he continues, For most people, God is precisely the one who guarantees that the only things we most fear won't happen. You've mentioned Derrida's interest in Augustine. Wouldn't Augustine and virtually all of the Christian tradition denounce any suggestion that God's promises might not be utterly reliable? That's my point exactly. See, Caputo is saying that we can't trust God. Did God really say his word's unreliable? There's no promises we can hang our hat on. And this is what uh, Gutting is getting at. Gary Gutting, in this interview, he, he, he's hoping that there's something in this that he can hang his hat on. Unfortunately, he's not going to find anything. Caputo continues, maybe it disturbs what, quote, most people think religion is, assuming they are thinking about it. But maybe a lot of these people wake up in the middle of the night feeling the same disturbance, disturbed by more religionless religion going on in the religion meant to give them comfort. Let me say that again. Assuming they are thinking about religion, maybe a lot of these people wake up in the middle of the night feeling the same disturbance, disturbed by a more religionless religion going on in the religion meant to give them comfort. Even for people who are content with the contents of the tradition they inherit, deconstruction is a life-giving force, forcing them to reinvent what has been inherited and to give it a future. Religion for Caputo boils down to this, another M. Night Shyamalan film, which I think gives us tremendous insight. Check this out. Are you? Are you 
lights on me. I love M. Night Shyamalan. Whether he intends to be or not, he brings out some remarkable profundities in his films. In this film, Signs, Shyamalan, whether he realizes it or not, juxtaposes the fantasy of God for which Caputo is arguing here. That's really what Caputo is arguing for, this fantasy of God, and puts it against the reality of God. For Caputo, the bottom line is, were you comforted? If so, run with that for a bit until you're no longer comforted, and then deconstruct it until you're comforted again. This is a lie. And this is the lie of the emergent movement that dates back to the serpent in Genesis 3. Leaders in the so-called emergent movement love to ask, what if? And they think, they, and they think that gives their followers life. This is such a lie. I, I hardly know where to begin. Sorry. No, unrelenting doubt, always questioning, never knowing is not a life-giving force and it offers no real, quote, future. This is not to say that we don't have moments of doubt, that, that some of the truth that God proposes in Scripture makes us scratch our heads. That even though we go through hard periods in our lives where we question God, um, 
that does not negate the fact that our hope is that we'll make it through those times. Not that doubt and questioning will never end and we'll never know that we can never have certainty. Case in point, how in the world can constantly doubting that God loves me be a life-giving force? How can constantly doubting that the God of the universe forgives my sins, which are many, give me hope? Friends, this path is the path of hopelessness and despair. There's nothing life-giving about it. It gives no life. There is no life given by this position. We need certainty that our sins are forgiven by the God who loves us. By the God who lives and by the God who created all things. That is our deepest need. Derrida and subsequently Caputo offers nothing for that need. You don't believe me yet? Caputo continues, but religion for Derrida is not a way to link up with the saving supernatural powers. It is a mode of being in the world, a being faithful to the promise of the world. See, no quote link, no path, no way, no life to saving supernatural powers. I say bummer, sad face as we'd say on social media, despair, no hope. In our darkest times, no way to link to saving supernatural powers. Caputo continues, The comparison with Augustine is telling. Unlike Augustine, he does not think a thing has to last forever to be worthy of our unconditional love. Still, he says he has been asking himself all his life Augustine's question, What do I love when I love my God? But where Augustine thinks that there is a supernaturally revealed answer to this question, Derrida does not. He describes himself as a man of prayer, but where Augustine thinks he knows to whom he is praying, Derrida does not. When I asked him this question once, he responded, If I knew that, I would know everything. He would be omniscient. God. This, is not, this not knowing does not defeat his religion or prayer. It is constitutive of them, constituting a faith that cannot be kept safe from doubt, a hope that cannot be kept safe from despair. We live in the distance between these pairs. Do you see it from the words of Caputo himself? We cannot be kept safe from dis- from doubt. We cannot be kept safe from despair. It's hopeless. In other words, we have nothing sure from God to which I say BS. We do have hope. And while we might doubt, there is hope for certainty. And, we will, and while we might be tempted to despair, it is only for a season. Caputo wants to condemn you to a life and eternity of despair. Because unlike Caputo's scripture-free life, we have the scriptures that teach us that God is real. That God can be known and that God is revealed to us in the very words of the Holy Scriptures. And friends, trust me when I tell you this philosophical irrationality, Caputo and men of his ilk tout, leads us to nothing other than great despair. Don't fall for it. It's a lie. Gary Gutting continues. But a deconstruction leads us to give up Augustine's way of thinking about God and even his belief in revealed truth. Shouldn't we admit that he has seriously that he has seriously watered down the content of Christianity, reduced the distance between it and agnosticism agnostic, agnosticism or atheism? Faith that is not confident and a hope that is not sure are not what the martyr, martyrs died for. Again, a very good question uh, by Gary here. Um, just hits the nail on the head. 
if if this was something uncertain, something we had to deconstruct, people would not be dying for this. Anyway, Caputo tries to, to answer. In this view, what martyrs die for is an underlying faith, which is why by an accident of birth or a conversion, they could have been martyrs for the other side. Mother Teresa expressed some doubts about her beliefs, but not about an underlying faith in her work. Deconstruction is a plea to rethink what we mean by religion and to locate a more unnerving religion going on in, in our more comforting religion. Deconstruction is faith and hope. Oh, fantastic. Now Caputo is contradicting himself. I thought he said deconstruction is basically doubt and despair. He goes on, in what? In the promises that are harbored in inherited names like justice and democracy or God. Human history is full of names of such names, and they all have their martyrs. This is why the difference between Derrida and Augustine cannot be squashed into the distinction between theism and atheism, deciding to call it a draw, a, a draw agnosticism. It operates on a fundamentally, fundamentally different level. Deconstruction dares to think religion in a new way, in what Derrida calls a, quote, new enlightenment, daring to rethink what the enlightenment boxed off as faith and reason. But deconstruction is not destruction. After all, the bottom line of, of deconstruction, quote, yes, come, is pretty much the last line of the New Testament. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. <sighs> wow. Far be it from me to give you personal advice, but I'm going to do it anyway. When someone tells you they have a new way, a new enlightenment, Run. Run as fast as you can from their ideas. They've got nothing new. All they have is an old idea, an old lie that, baked, that, that, date, that dates back to the serpent in the garden who asked, Did God really say... And now for the pirate sermon. In case you thought John Caputo was the first to give us an article full of lies, consider Genesis 3 and the lies the serpent threw at Eve. You, you think you could have stood in the face of the serpent's lies? I know I would have failed big time. Check it out and look closely at the sheer volume of lies the serpent delivers and just how seductive they are. The serpent became the most crafty animal of the field, of which Yahweh Elohim made. He, the serpent, said to the woman, did indeed... Elohim say you will not eat of any tree of the garden the woman said to the serpent we may eat of the fruit of any tree of the garden but from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden Elohim said we will not eat or touch it unless we die and the serpent said to the woman you will not die you cannot die Elohim knows that on the day you eat of it you will have your eyes opened and will become like Elohim, knowing good and evil. And the woman, seeing that the tree is good for food, and it makes the eyes yearn, and gives intelligence, the woman covets the tree, and she takes and eats, and gives it to her man who is with her, and he eats. Lie number one. Denial of God. This lie is found in the serpent's words, Did indeed Elohim. As I indicated, the serpent puts a little quote G on God in this verse. Notice that in verse 1, God is referred to as the Lord God, Yahweh, Elohim. After chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis, it is made clear to us that Elohim, the God who created the heavens and the earth in chapter 1, is indeed the Yahweh, Elohim, the Lord God in chapters 2 and 3 of Genesis. 
This contrast is glaring as Moses, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, identifies God as Yahweh Elohim this, and the serpent in contrast to this commonly refers to God as some sort of generic God and not the Yahweh Elohim. Furthermore, when you see Yahweh Elohim juxtaposed against the simple Elohim as we do here, you can rest assured that the simple Elohim does not refer to the one true God but simply a God. The serpent is essentially saying to Eve here, did some God really tell you? Lie too. Did God really say that? Again, the serpent slyly asks, Did God, again, little g, indeed say? This again is the, is the original lie. Anytime we hear someone denying the written word of God, they are essentially asking, Did God really say that? Surely that can't be true. The God I believe in would never do A, B, or C. Most often, the problem there is the original lie. And the, quote, God they believe in is a false god and an idol. Lie three. There is no freedom in following the word of God. Did God say don't eat of any fruit of the tree? The serpent is asking if the humans are commanded not to eat anything from the garden. This is the old lie of, if you follow the word of God, you will surrender all your freedom. Your life will be so restricted and confined, boring and useless. If you follow the word of God, you will starve. All while the reality is authentic freedom is found only in following the word of the Lord. Isn't it ironic that we are so bent in on ourselves, that we are so twisted in our own sin, that we mistake freedom for bondage, love for hate, life for death, light for darkness. Life for fighting temptation on our own terms by adding to God's word. This one comes from Eve. The serpent is closing the net in on her. Well, Eve rightly corrects the serpent, saying that they have freedom to eat of any tree except the one in the middle. The <laughs> Eve adds to God's word. She adds to God's commandment by saying they aren't even allowed to touch it. God commanded nothing of the sort. God's word was do not eat. God's word never said do not touch. We do this all the time, don't we? This is the lie of both the prosperity heresy and, and really the emergent heresy. The prosperity or word of faith heresy tells us if you just have enough, enough faith, then you can be healthy and wealthy. The scripture teaches us that our faith is to be in Christ alone. The lie of the prosperity teachers uh, teach you to have faith, not in Christ, but in reality, a faith in faith. So not only do you need to have faith in Christ, that's honestly inc incidental to these charlatans of this man-made religion, but you have to conjure enough faith inside yourself to make manifest the quote promises of God. They add, to the word of God. The emergent heresy is no different. Faith in Christ is incidental at best and unnecessary at worst. Emergent types love to say deeds, not creeds. In other words, what you believe doesn't matter. What matters is you do. So generally, they make up a Jesus that is a Jesus of social justice and following their specified rules of executing justice in the world is where the real salvation lies. So they like to add some to-dos 
to God's word, usually in the form of, oh, this social activism or this relief project pleases God. And it's clear from scripture that the only way to please God is faith. Take Caputo here. Understand, re, understanding God requires that we do deconstruction versus the Bible that says the gift of versus the Bible that says the gift of faith from God is what pleases God. Now, I will say in defense of the emergence here, I've got one thing right that we evangelicals just love to ignore. That's preference for the poor, the outcast, the marginalized. It's so easy for us to sit on our high and mighty quote pure doctrine. And while it's absolutely critical that we that what we believe is correct, we often follow we 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 we, we so often fail to allow what we believe to move us to obedience. Maybe if we started putting in the hard work that the Holy Spirit empowers us for to love our neighbor as we should, we'd have a few less John Caputos in the world. At any rate, back to Eve and the serpent. Eve, just like we do, is rapidly following into the serpent's into the serpent's web of lies. The serpent must have relished Eve's addition to God's word. Yes, he might have under, uttered under his breath, "I've got her adding to God's word already." Lie number five: There's no real consequences to sin. The serpent hisses, "You will not die." You cannot die. There is no consequence for sin. In fact, line number six, there is pleasure, benefits, and real freedom in sin. God doesn't want you to be happy. God knows that if you eat, you'll never have your best life now. God is trying to stop you from experiencing life to the fullest. Stop trusting the Bible for truth. There's so much more out there than God's word. Ideas like Derrida's deconstructions, movements, that really means something to our lives like the emergent movement. And the woman seeing that the tree is good for food and it makes the eyes yearn and gives intelligence. The woman covets the tree and she takes and eats of it and gives it to her man who is with her and he eats. The lies are irresistible. There is so much to be gained. Believe God? <laughs> There's so much more that is better. So much more that is real. So much more that is, quote, life-giving. Plus that, who really believes in the word of God anymore? And Yahweh Elohim said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any beast of the field. And on your belly you will go and eat dirt all the days of your life. And I will set an enmity between you and the woman and between her seed and your seed. And he will crush your head and you will crush his heel. Thanks be to the Lord God that he had Moses pen these words that came from the very mouth of God. The good news, the gospel of Jesus overcomes and defeats all these lies. Note well, he, it literally says he, will crush the serpent's head and the serpent will crush his heel. When those crushing 
piercing iron spikes were driven into Jesus' hands and feet. The serpent fulfilled his part of this prophecy, and so did the seed of the woman. This seed was none, none other than the God-man, the second Adam, Jesus the Christ, the Yeshua Mashiach, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world by crushing the head of this lying serpent. Because of him, because of Jesus, our sins are forgiven and we have peace with God. This, my friends, is the absolute truth. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise and certainly don't fall for the old lies of the serpent no matter how slick or silver-tongued that serpent might ask you did God really say? Thanks for listening to God Still Speaks Through Jackasses. We'd love to get your feedback. Please email me with your thoughts at discussion at godstillspeaksthroughjackasses.org or hit me up on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash godstillspeaksthroughjackasses. All third-party material is used under the authority of the Copyright Act of 1976, 17 United States Code, Section 107, Fair Use, including but not limited to deconstructing God from the opinionator, the Stone, New York Times, March 9th, 2014, New York Times blog, www.blogs.newyorktimes.com. I, Mud, from Star Trek, the original series, Season 2, Episode 8, directed by Mark Daniels, written by Gene Roddenberry, Stephen Candell, and David Gerald, Paramount Television, 1967. Signs, written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan, Touchstone, Touchstone Pictures, 2002. Free Will, written by Neil Peart, performed by Rush, Chronicles, Anthem Entertainment, 19. Save the world Just you wait till it's unfurled